This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Steve Martirano. We hope you're joining us as we speak to experts in the field of behavioral health. The whole idea is to foster diverse and meaningful conversations on substance abuse and mental health. With regard to those two areas, uh, nothing has impacted them more than the alarming rise in suicides in this country. They are, it is, without a doubt, a public health crisis. To find out more about suicide, we've gone to some people who are certainly no latecomers to the effort to prevent suicide in our in our society. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention has been at this for over 40 years now, founded in 1987. And, uh, you know, their work is in is described perfectly uh, in, in their name that they are they are dedicated to uh, preventing suicide. To that end, we welcome Marianne Murtha to, uh, to the program today. Marianne is area director of the Philadelphia chapter of the AFSP, and we welcome her to Recovery Radio. Now, you get all that right, Marianne? You did, Steve. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got involved in this, and then uh, give us a chapter and verse about uh, the foundation. Well, personally, I got involved in uh, around t- 2012. Um, in 2010, I, la- I lost my oldest child and only son to suicide. Um, so October of 2010, we lost him and really wanted to find a place for myself and my family to help others on this journey so that no one feels alone and that if you are a survivor, that you know that it is, you're not alone and it's okay. And there is a healing journey that is, we come together as a community and help each other. Um, AFSP brought a lot of what I was looking for because their mission is surrounded by funding scientific research. We are the number one privately funded organization specifically focused on um, suicide prevention and mental health issues. Um, We are loud around our education of public uh, about mental health and suicide prevention. We have strong advocacy around our public policies so that we can make positive changes for mental health and suicide prevention. And the one that is near and dear to my heart is we were an organization that, like you said, 40 plus years ago, reached out to survivors to let them know how they can start their healing journey and find hope as they um, face a lifetime without their their, um, loved ones. Um, We really are based, our national organization is based out of New York, where those areas are focused, Um, but we bring that down to our local communities. There are 75 chapters throughout the United States. Um, I serve all five counties of the greater Philadelphia area, so Bucks, Chester County, Delaware County, Montgomery County, and Philadelphia. So we reach out to our communities through our education, our survivor program, um, and some of the advocacy work that we do. We also um, 
our research is really done by some of the finest researchers across the country. We have some of those that sit right here in Philadelphia. So we're very fortunate when you look around our community, the researchers that are there helping us move our mission. Um, we have a robust education program where we're reaching out to school districts, workplaces, um, religious organizations, as well as nonprofits, where we help them understand how to, what to say, what not to say, um, and where to get that support, and how to support someone that might be struggling. Mm -hmm. um, and we really are, you know, growing this mission, um, not only nationally, but in the Philadelphia area, and that makes me very proud. Um, I, like I started to say, I started as a volunteer in 12. Um, through that journey, I have been very instrumental in volunteering. And as of January 21st, I became the new area director for the area because this is my truly my my mission in life and my passion. Yes. You know, you know what? It's, um, you know, in that in that description, you can see that the uh, the. Uh, your mission statement, the foundation's mission statement is broad, including, you know, trying to stem the loss of life from suicide and then all the educational efforts. Um, and we're going to get into each and every one of them now. But I'd like to take just a moment here now and, and talk about what, what it would seem to be one of the most pressing needs for something like this besides, you know, obviously um, – helping people not lose their lives like this. This is a very isolating event in, in the life of a family, it, isn't it? I mean, darkness kinds of descend. And for the longest time, and probably still currently, there's this stigma attached to suicide. Talk a little bit about the, the, what that's like. I mean, you have personal experience and why it's important that we lift that stigma and take people out of this darkness so they know there's help out there. Thank you for asking that question, Steve. Um, it was dark. Um, you know, uh, culturally, society, um, your religious beliefs, all of those come into play. The stigma, you know, cast a shadow of shame. Um, I personally am Roman Catholic, so to have lost my son by suicide... Um, I'm of the age group where we were taught that it was a sin, and the shame of that, um, unfortunately for me and my family, we did not have that shame um, from the moment that I found out about my son and the way he lost his life. I was very vocal, um, but I watched the older generation in my family completely fall apart over it. Mm. Not only did they lose their grandchild, but there was this intense fear that he was going to hell. Mm. Um, we were fortunate because our parish, our parish pastor at the time came and spoke to my mom, who was the most devastated, and told her that no, he did not he was not going to hell, but he was going right into the arms of God because he was, he had an illness and God takes care of those, immediately takes care of those that are ill 
and children. So he was 20, um, but, you know, I, I also have been trained in facilitating a complex grief group and some of the things, some of the other parts of this or components to our loss and our grief at you have your grief, you have your sense of loss, you have your sadness, but you also have things like shame. You have guilt. What didn't I know? What didn't I see? Why didn't I stop it? Um, and then in some cases you have anger. How could he do this to us? How mm. could she leave us like that and leave us in this kind of pain? And then there's shame and, and you know, guilt because how could you, you know, how could you be mad at your loved one if they're deceased? So it there's there's much thicker layers to our grief, um, and there are support groups. We partner with Survivor of Suicide, which specifically works with survivors and hosting grief groups. And those kind of feelings that you have going through a grief journey helps to hear that you're not alone, that you're not, you know, people always say, once I hear, you know, somebody say to me, oh, I feel that too, that breaks that loneliness or that shame. So our, the grief groups that we have out there, the survivor, um, the, the support of the survivors, all of that starts to show that we are a community and that we can speak out around it. We yeah. are not where we need to be, but in my 10 years, I've seen us move the needle, if you will, where it's okay to talk about it. Well, we, 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 um, it's so absolutely, we're getting there. It's absolutely critical to talk about it because when, uh, when uh, Marianne says that people who have uh, experienced a suicide in their families are not alone, uh, they, they certainly are not alone. Uh, and I understand from my reading that it's now in the top 10, maybe the 10th uh, leading cause of deaths in the, in the country from all causes uh, with something like, is this right, 45,000 deaths a year by suicide? Is that right? That's right. It is the t- you are correct, Steve, when you say it's the tenth leading cause of death in the country. Well, that would qualify under anybody's definition as a public health crisis. Um, but it's it still seems in the mind of uh, I, I maybe I'm wrong about this, but in the general uh, public's mind as a kind of standalone issue and not connected to this larger notion of behavioral health and and, and uh, what's going you know what's what's contributing to all this is that part of what the foundation is about to to connect uh, a person's suicide with with broader problems that are going on yes so our research i talked about funding scientific research um, we have researchers that look at suicide from many many different aspects Um, from a mental health perspective, but also from, you know, other contributing factors. Maybe it's intense pain. Maybe it is, um, you know, you can't, people tend to want one answer, and I get that. It's human nature. But there are so many factors involved that, you know, our researchers taking it apart from every every aspect that we can 
Marianne, let me let me let me stop you here because I don't want to get too far ahead of this. Uh, I want to uh, okay. uh, continue with this discussion straight ahead from the uh, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Their area director, uh, director, the uh, Philadelphia area, is our guest on Recovery Radio. Marianne Murtha. We have more with Marianne straight ahead. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Our guest on the telephone is Marianne Murtha, who uh, for the past 10 years has been uh, associated with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. In that capacity, she is uh, she is now the area director for the Greater Philadelphia chapter, which covers Bucks, Chester, Delaware, and Montgomery County, as well as Philadelphia County. And she is with us to uh, discuss the uh, the alarming rise in uh, suicide and efforts that her group and many, many others are doing to try to get out in front of this problem. So um, I guess the best thing we can do for people listening who you know have not had this tragedy in their lives is to alert them as to what to look for uh, and you know what what warning signs there are. Can you take us through a little bit of that? Who, who is at risk for uh, suicide or even attempted suicide, Marianne? Um, so there is no one single cause, or it transcends, you know, economic status, religious status, male, female, age group. So to say, you know, look at this person or this. Um, you know, group, that's not really the way to look at it. There are some warning signs that we tell people to look at. Um, so if you hear someone talking about they have a plan to take their life, if they feel, if they're sharing that they're feeling hopeless or they don't see their reason for living, they talk about being a burden to their friends, their family, their loved ones. Um, they feel trapped or they talk about being in unbearable pain. Some of the behaviors that are indicators, um, such as increased use of alcohol or drugs, they are looking at, you know, you, you find out that they're searching online methods <clears throat> of dying by suicide. They withdraw. They completely withdraw. You have somebody that's very um, active, very socially engaging, and then totally isolates themselves from their friends, from their families. Sleeping too much, I think we all think that that's an indicator, but you have to flip that, too. Sleeping not enough. You know, being up all night, pacing, you know, looking for things to do. That's an indicator, too. Um, another indicator, which I've heard before, even before I've uh, crossed into this journey, was visiting friends and family and, um, ca- or calling people to say goodbye. Um, giving away prized possessions. Here, I want you to have this trophy that I won that I so covet. Um, if they're aggression, aggressive and aggravated, or they have um, intense fatigue. Mm. There's behaviors that also, or moods, so if they're depressed, or they're overly anxious, they have loss of um, interest in what they normally, you know, their favorite things to do, their sports, their hobbies, they're irritable. If they feel 
intense humility or shame over an, a mistake or some life error. Um, they become agitated very easily and are become and quick to anger. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, sometimes it's the complete opposite. They go to, you know, they're struggling and they, they all of a sudden just start to do really well. And that was my case and for my son. He was doing great when he made, you know, we lost him. So, and it's, it's not just, it's intensity. Mm-hmm. So it's really knowing the individual, your loved one, and being able to ask the questions and what questions to ask yeah. you know, to I, lead them down the path of recovery. I've interviewed a lot, a lot of people over the years who uh, who have had substance abusers in their family, uh, and uh, almost to a person, they say the same thing, we never saw it coming. Uh, is, that, is there some aspect of that with a suicide in the family, that people are completely blindsided by it? Um, I, again... There's no one answer to that question. In my case, I was blindsided. I know a friend of mine who their child suffered with mental health issues for 18 years. So there was always that fear for her. And unfortunately, about three years ago, she did lose her son to suicide. Um, I think it's... I think... It's as individual as our personalities mm-hmm. um, and knowing your loved one. So there was a time when I feared it and he struck my son struggled, but then he went through recovery. I was doing great. And then it came out of nowhere. When, so your son, your son was a, a, he had a, a substance abuse problem as well. Is that what you, is that what you said? Did I hear that? Uh, when he was in his uh, younger mid teen years, he did have yeah. substance abuse, but he had been in recovery, was, you know, went back to college, was, had a great job. He was, you know, followed all the steps. So, you know, um, new places, new things, new um, friends. So he really did, was following the 12 steps to recovery. So it was not something I had on my radar at, yeah, that, yeah. at that moment. Well, it certainly illustrates how sharply that the, the, problem of suicide is deeper than merely a result of somebody who abuses substances, but there's a deeper mental health issue. Did he talk to you or did you talk to him about suicide? Did he bring it up or did you bring it up? Um, When he was younger um, and we were in counseling, we talked about it. Um, So, and we talked about it with his counselor. So I had a lot of, um, I mean, I immediately took him to, you know, therapist. We tried group. We tried individual. Um, He preferred individual because he felt like he can be more honest and open. Um, I was sometimes part of that. So those conversations were being had when he was mid-teenage years. But he was 20. So, again, he was doing well. Yeah. He was following the steps. Yeah. Uh, Mary Murtha is our guest. She is the area director for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We're going to find out more about that group and uh, how, to, how to best arm ourselves to avoid this tragedy happening in our lives. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. 
Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We'll return to our guest uh, straight ahead, Mary and Mirtha. But I want to remind you that the program is sponsored by Retreat Behavioral Health. We, uh, as, an, as an informational and educational tool, we give you their phone number every week and we tell you that uh, if they can help you, they, they, they will. They've helped many, many people in the area of substance abuse and mental health. But really, they give you the phone number as an, edu- as an informational tool. And, and again, I tell you this every week as well. We hope you never have to use the number, but in an emergency, at a critical moment, under extraordinary pressures, uh, you don't know where to turn off. And you'll get good answers from the folks at Retreat. So here's the number, 855-859-8808. That's 855-859-8808, Retreat Behavioral Health. Marianne Murtha is with us. She is the uh, area director for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. She lost her son to suicide uh, 10 years ago as well. So she speaks from deep personal experience about this. And now she spent a decade helping others um, who who have suffered this and uh, helping a wider group who would love to avoid something like this happening to them. Uh, Marianne, let's let's take a look at uh, the the media. How does... How does the media help, and how do they hurt the uh, the uh, the idea of suicide in their coverage? Do you have do you have any uh, opinion about that? We do. We actually have a resource um, we use when we talk to media personalities on how to report on suicide. Um, language is probably primary in how reporters should speak about a loss. So we ask that you don't use the word committed. Instead, we use died by suicide or took his or her life. Um, We ask that the details or the images of the method or means that was used are not used. Um, That sometimes can be a trigger. I know it is a trigger for me personally. So there's a personal testimony. Um, when you are referring to suicide, it, we ask that you don't say growing problem, epidemic, or skyrocketing. We ask that you share a message of hopefulness that it is preventable um, and that we, when you talk about it, that you're always using a hopeful tone um, and images. Um, not necessarily, you know, conveying that mm-hmm. it is an epidemic. Yeah. Um, well, let me let me stop you there for a second and, and and sort of be the devil's advocate here. Now, I understand that all of what you said makes uh, perfect sense, and in fact, uh, shows a lot of empathy with regard to people who have who have suffered this tragedy in their lives. Um, but how how do you reconcile making sure that the media coverage of a suicide is not hurtful or, as you mentioned, triggers um, feelings of uh, despair and grief in people who suffered it. And on the same, uh, on the other hand, uh, alerting the public to, uh, let's face it, a rise in suicide. How, how do you manage to do both of those things? Um, well, again, it's the language, it's the tone, and it's the images. So, um, you know, always, you know, making sure that you are providing the helpline information. If you're in crisis, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK or contact crisis text line by texting 
talk to 741741. Um, stating that suicide is preventable, that conveying that suicidal thoughts and behaviors can be reduced with proper mental health support and treatment, and they are not weaknesses or flaws. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, while you, I hear your point, Steve, it's, you know, coming at it in a positive, with the positive and helpful that we're moving to a better place if we are making strides in the way that we talk about it, mm-hmm. the way we view it, and the way we convey it in our messages. When you mention triggered, uh, uh, triggered um, events in the, in, the, in the life of someone who's lost a child, as in your case, um, I mean, it's perfectly understandable how that would trigger, you know, those feelings. Um, is, I, I've read recently uh, studies that are taking a look at whether suicides occur in clusters, um, not that it's something one can catch, but, but isn't that another factor of the way we talk about and the way the media covers suicide that if it's, if it's constantly projected as a dark and dangerous and awful event that it can trigger other people who are on the edge? That's again. That's a, a conversation we have. Talking about suicide does not cause someone to die by suicide. Um, we and we need to, in order to break the stigma, we need to come out of the darkness. So we need to stop keeping it as a deep, dark secret. We need to talk about it. We need to talk about it in the way that says it is preventable. If we have the right, you know, bringing in mental health professionals to help us, not being ashamed of it, I liken it at personally when I help when I talk to somebody. If somebody told me that my son had cancer, I would have been at any hospital that was going to give him the best treatment to help him combat that cancer. If my son has mental health challenges or suffering with mental health, then I'm going to go to the doctors and I'm going to fight for and be an advocate for him to get the help that he needs. To me, my son died by suicide. No different. It, it shouldn't be looked at differently than if my son died by cancer. We need to get the right help with the right treatments and do whatever we can to help well, well, let's combat yeah. the illness. Well, let's talk about some of the things that need to be done. I know that the American Foundation uh, for Suicide Prevention has been um, in the forefront of advocating for public policy changes. Uh, is that happening? Uh, in, in your opinion, are are you know is the government uh, responding correctly to this? Um, actually, the most recent. Um, the most recent change that we've just been instrumental in is um, you heard me talk about the 1-800 number. Um, We were, so the National Helpline, Crisis Helpline, and AFSP are partners in suicide prevention, but um, we don't run the Crisis Helpline, if you will, but we partner with the organization that does, and we just recently were instrumental with that organization in having a three-digit number approved 
from the 1-800 number to 988. It is now being, it's going through the process of being changed in states. Pennsylvania has not changed it yet, but it is on the horizon with the FCC. That was one of our major um, major policies that we have um, been instrumental in getting changed. Um, there are many, many policies that we've been involved with. We actually have um, each state has an advocacy day. Um, Pennsylvania will be April 7th, where we actually sit and talk to our local legislators about what is needed in um, the prevention of suicide as well as mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so all 50 states will be talking to their, you know, state representatives or local representatives about what is needed. In some areas, it will be their city council. Um, and then we will also um, put together a team led by our national organizations, um, some of our leaders in our public policy. We do have an office in D.C., and we will be um, advocating in D.C. at the national level for what need, uh, the public policies that need to be changed. Well, a, a 911 kind of number is a, a wonderful idea. That can't happen fast enough. Can I ask you what role law enforcement or the courts play in an attempted suicide? Do, do they automatically get involved, or is that vary state by state and locality by locality? How does that work? Um, I've had situations where I was called by a loved one about a concern that they have for um, <clears throat> someone in, say, the city of Philadelphia, um, Specifically, I had a mom whose daughter was in Philadelphia, but she was in California. She called me and said, what do I do? Um, I, we called the, you know, the district of that area of, that, of Philadelphia and asked that they do a wellness check um, so that if, there were, if that young lady was in crisis, um, that we, the police could intervene and bring in um, you know, any support that they needed from first responders. I know that that is typical, and you can do that at any time. If you are not near your loved one, you can call your local police department to go to a wellness check. Really? Um, just this final note, just so people are aware of what's going on. If someone attempts suicide, fails uh, in the attempt, have they committed a crime? No, they have not. Um not, not in the state of Pennsylvania, well, not in most states. I know that it is viewed like that, and that is why we ask that the word commit be removed from our language. It was not a crime. It was not a sin. Marion Murtha, our guest, she is area director of the uh, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We have more with Marianne on this uh, very important topic. Straight ahead on Recovery Radio. Stay with us, Okay. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Our guest is uh, Marianne uh, Mirtha. Marianne is Area Director of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention here in the Philadelphia uh, Five-County area. She covers all that. She's been at this for uh, 10 years. And uh, she's been just a great, great resource for uh, a lot of eye-opening information, as far as I'm concerned, with regard to, uh, you know, our attitudes, our language, and how we approach the uh, issue of, uh, of suicide 
uh, and prevention for sure. So we we really really thank you for that, uh, Marianne. Let's let's uh, conclude in this final segment here with a couple of the educational efforts that I know you guys have been really um, working very hard on. Tell us about a couple of them, One, uh, two in particular. Uh, let's begin with uh, More Than Sad. Tell us what that program's about. More Than Sad is a, um, it's a, a training program. It's based, it has a film attached to it, and it's geared towards three, um, three audiences. High school students um, teaches teens to recognize signs of depression, not only within themselves, but their their friends and others, um, and how to challenge the stigma that surrounds the depression and helps demystify the treatment process. Um, there's a program that teaches parents how to recognize, recognize signs of depression and other mental health problems um, and how to initiate that conversation with your child and get them the right help. And then there's a third segment, which is teachers. And this program teaches educators to recognize the signs um, if one of their students or someone in the school is having distress and how to have those conversations and how to refer for the help that they need. Um, This is a program that compiles the requirements for teacher education suicide preventing training in many states. So we bring this out to many different audiences, um, and it really is kind of the way we created it. It's really specifically around teen depression and teen mental health problems. If that's if, if uh, uh, more than sad is not is not currently a part of uh, the school district that someone listening is in, what what are, do they call the school or do they call you or how do you get a program like they would call they would call they would reach out to American Foundation for Suicide Prevention um, based on their chapter. So, like I said, I serve five counties: um, Bucks, Chester, Montgomery, Delaware, and Philadelphia. Um, we also have a chapter in Central PA. And then we have a chapter in Western PA. So we have local volunteers that are trained in training this and delivering this program. So you would reach out to a, a chapter that is close to you so that we could get people that are right in your own community to have these um, training sessions. Yeah, and then because people listen to the, this program, hopefully, uh, on the podcast, we're heard lots of places. The uh, AFSP has has chapters in every state. Is that right? That is correct. Some states have more than one. So there are a total of 75 chapters. You can go to AFSP.org to find um, a local chapter closest to where you are. Yeah, on that issue, let me point out to people, I don't know if I'd say this, but um, you guys have one of the best informational websites I have ever seen. It's it's well-organized. It's utterly comprehensive. I can't think of a better resource for people who want to know more about the issue of suicide prevention than the uh, AFSP.org site. So, you know, if you're interested in more information, that's that's where to go. So now, uh, what is Walk Out of Darkness? So every, um, for the greater Philadelphia area, we have an Out of the Darkness Walk. Um, that's our community walk. So we have three categories of walks. So I'm going to go to the big one for Philadelphia. Um, we always have it the first Sunday. This year is October 4th, 2020. It is always at the Art Museum. Um, we walk along the river on Boathouse Row. 
Um, teams come together. I personally have a team, Dobbs Wolfpack. People have teams in honor of their loved one. In some cases, their loved ones. Um, and we do grassroots fundraising. Some of us have parties with a purpose. Some of us do bowling. Um, and all that we do is raise funds for the overall for areas that we talked about already. Um, that helps the research, helps the education, helps the uh, survivorship, and helps us with advocacy. All of our funds go to, to support all of our programs. Everything that we do, all the education programs, all the survivorship, all of those things, we offer to our communities for free. Yeah. There is no charge. Incidentally, again, um, again you, all of these efforts, both volunteer and, uh, I guess, uh, contribution can be done right through the website, right? That is correct. Um, for the Out of the Darkness Walk in Philadelphia, that will be up probably in the next two or three weeks. You can start to register. We also have what we call um, the Overnight Out of the Darkness Walk. This year, we are having one. It is in New York City. It is literally overnight. You walk through New York City. Um, Greater Philadelphia is pulling is forming a team. The walk is in June. Um, we will have people all over the country walking through New York City. Right, and again, the same idea of raising funds for the areas of who we are and what we do and our mission and our purpose. And then a third category is campus walks. We have two campus walks coming up where these are student body that comes together that wants to make a difference, that wants to move our mission forward. We have one in Holy Family University, and we have one that is um, actually a combination between Lower Moreland High School and um, Bernathan College, and they're going to start the walk at the high school and walk all the way through until over to the college. Um, that one is, both of these are coming up in April, and you can find that on AFSP.org Philadelphia um, with our current events. We also have another event that's coming up every year. It's an annual, for the, an annual event for the Greater Philadelphia area. It's called Save a Life Gala. We will host it, and we will honor three organizations or individuals in our area that continue to raise our mission. Save a Life Award winners are Lori and Lee Maxwell um, of the D-Max Foundation, um, Dr. Tammy Benton of CHOP, and Mr. and Mrs. Jim Stetler, who have are part of our community, um, who have lost their son and continue to build awareness in our communities. It's on Friday, March 13th at 7 p.m. at the Lucy on Broad Street. So if you want to join us, sponsor us, give us a silent auction donation, you can check it out on our the Philadelphia page. Mary, Mary and Murthy, you've given us a lot to think about. Again, I, I refer people to their wonderful website, AFSP.org, for all that information. We hope you can come back uh, and join us again because it's a big, it's a big job you have and an important topic. Mary Ann Murtha, thanks for joining us on Recovery Radio. And thank you all for joining us on Recovery Radio. Again, brought to you by Retreat Behavioral Health. If you or a loved one is in need of, of help, I'll give you the number again, 24-7. Someone's there to answer your questions. 855-859-8808. That's 855-859-8808. Until next time, this is Recovery Radio.
This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.